My name is Beck. I'm the co-host of the Not Superwoman podcast, and I'm the great-granddaughter of Irish, American and Italian immigrants, and I'm grateful to call Australia home. I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation as the traditional owners of this land of which the podcast was recorded, and extend our respects to the elders past and present. I am in awe of their strength, of the world's oldest living culture, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to share this podcast on their land. Welcome to this week's episode of Recap and Ramble. We've got an extra special one this week. We're very fortunate to be sitting with the very divine Maddie Forster. Um, you are, have mad about fashion, your fashion styling business, personal. Is it, how would you, what, what do you classify it as? I would say personal styling, but soon to be editorial as well. Oh, that's so awesome. And this is so fun because, and extra special, because Maddie wrote in to us on our Not Superwoman email and reached out to us. Firstly, I was very touched and excited that someone of your age being 25 young. <laughs> would, young, <laughs> would bother listening to our podcast. And then secondly, um, you have an incredible story and we feel very honoured um, that you would be willing to share it with us. You wrote in and spoke about, uh, I guess, the journey that you've had today. Would you mind sharing it with our guests and listeners? Absolutely. So I have juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, but the biggest sort of struggle that I've had is I've got stage four endometriosis. So that has led me to where I am today. So being a personal stylist, I work with women and also men, um, but work with women mostly to help them feel their best selves. So through fashion, that's been a really big part of my journey, if you want to call it that. Um, But endo is something that completely changed my life. Um, It's been a silver lining because it's now brought me, I guess, to have experiences like I'm having today, which is really exciting, but it's been a slog. Mm. Um, I've got a degree in public relations, which no longer, I guess, is the forefront of my mind, but it's an experience, again, that I've learnt a lot of things. Um, I can say I've got a degree, which is something in society, I feel like, where we grow up and, you know, go to school, go to uni, get a degree to be successful. But my life has taken a different path and a better path, but it hasn't always been easy, that's for sure. Mm, it's, a very, um, it's a very positive way on looking at something that's definitely been, a, like I can only imagine, a struggle. I mean, I was looking into your profile and your website and what you wrote in on your email. I mean, at the age of 12, you got diagnosed with your first chronic illness and what were the signs and symptoms that were going on then when? I literally woke up and I couldn't move my hand. So I was fine the day before. I'd had a virus um, about a week earlier. I had an ear infection. And yeah, woke up, went to do my hair for school and I couldn't move my right hand. And as you do, you run to your mum. And I was like, mum, something's wrong. So we went to the doctor pretty much straight away because I literally couldn't move it. And... I have family history of rheumatoid arthritis. God, that's frightening. Like mm. you would have been scared. So scared. Because I, again, didn't know what was wrong. So, But that was sort of my first real experience, I guess, in the health system of sitting down, telling a doctor something's wrong. It's not just the average cold and flu. So it is a genetic... (laughs) They say it is, but I've got idiopathic 
like arthritis, which means they don't know why I got it and they don't know how I got it. They think my um, paediatric rheumatologist said it probably came off and was triggered by a virus. So yes. I probably always had it and I, it just got triggered by that virus. So as a kid, I always had issues. Um, like I always got snotty and had a cold and, you know, as every kid does, but I never had issues with my health until that day. Literally I was in year seven and I couldn't move my hand. So I went to the doctor and mum had actually said to the doctor, I've got arthritis because my hand was swollen. Could this be? And the doctor's like, nah, like she's 12. <laughs> like, yeah. no. And so I went and had all these tests, x-rays, nothing's wrong, nothing's wrong. Went to a different doctor. He looked at my hands and I don't remember this, but mum said he looked straight at her. Um, he's also a family friend, that doctor. And I went straight for bloods and got referred straight to a rheumatologist. And yeah, and he knew of, exactly yeah. what it was. Yeah, and mum said she knew from that look that That's why things were about opinion to change. is so important. Oh, absolutely. You have to trust because I couldn't – like at school I was wearing, a, you know, a wrist brace. I couldn't write because it was my right hand. So then you're getting the special treatment of using a laptop in class. So this is a stupid question. I don't know a lot about arthritis – so would it just be isolated to your hands or is it all your joints? So after my diagnosis, I then saw one of the leading professors at Monash Hospital and she diagnosed me officially and it was all my joints. So my knees, my ankles, my wrists, my jaw, um, fingers. God, that's debilitating. Yeah. And so does that affect your – did that affect your ability to be able to participate in school things? Yes. I then – so – after my diagnosis, I went and had – so the first dose of treatment was to try cortisone injections, which at 12 years old, being injected into your knee, I was classified as too old to go under anaesthetic. Uh, to go under anaesthetic. But they literally just put like numbing cream and I still can recall lying on the oh. bed and mum and dad were there and I was looking at my dad screaming, saying, please stop, like this is – I get goosebumps oh. talking about it. But I can still remember that trauma of them trying to hold me down Um and begging, just pull me to sleep. Like they gave me gas, which like everything was dizzy. But mm. um, as parents, I can't imagine how hard that is to see your kid go through that. And um, Awful. But also to be the person who's being injected into your knee and your ankle. Um, they were supposed to do my wrist, but I couldn't take any more pain. So I said no. Um, and that actually had an adverse effect. My inflammatory markers went up and they're supposed to reduce. So that didn't work. Right. So that was the first kind of like, okay, well, you've put me through this. It's not working. Now what? And then I got put on a medication called methotrexate and that helped my arthritis, but it caused so many problems for me. In other areas. Yeah. Um, I was getting kidney infections. It's an immunosuppressant. So at a high dose, methotrexate is used as chemotherapy. So I had really thick hair. I didn't lose my hair, but it thinned out a lot. Um, if someone coughed near me, I literally would be out for two weeks with a cough. So school became like painful. And in your email and on your website, you talk about how the fact that you were, um, because of this diagnosis, you were very limited in your attendance to school. Yeah. And then in turn, spent a lot of days in bed, especially looking at fashion and online shopping. Is that is that where it started, your love of fashion started? Yeah, I always, as a kid, I was never sporty. So whether that was like me preempting. It's not a problem. <laughs> me preempting. Stephen, my brother, was always a sporty kid. So for me, I was always more creative. I did art. I liked to use my hands. Um, I had more of a creative imagination. So... 
Typically, Stephen would play sport on the weekend and I'd go to the shops with mum. So when I was well enough, but then when I wasn't well, you start scrolling and you look at shops and what I wanted to wear when I was better. And that was like medication in itself. Like it's cathartic. Yeah. Like going through and I guess, I don't know if you do this because I'm like 100 years older than you. You know, I used to mood board and I used to have, I guess, Pinterest and you just pull stuff and they're all inspiration and and thinking about things and what life you're going to have after. Absolutely. Yeah. And what you're going through does get you through things. Yeah, absolutely. And you start thinking, oh, where can I wear this? And, you know, you go through all the phases of Supre and we're wearing the headbands and, you know, you'd get back to school after having a bit of time off and we'd have a free dress day and, like, it was so exciting because I got to wear my new clothes. So um, that was a massive like coping mechanism for me because I was the different one at school. I didn't know anyone else going through what I was going through, um, which caused a lot of issues socially for me. I was always the quiet one. I didn't speak up. Um, I had issues with friends at school because people just didn't get it. So I was mm. bullied. There was a lot of a lot of issues at school. It's just so hard. Like you, And how do you t- – teach and tell people that but I think it's you know trying to just teach compassion kindness compassionate at the forefront of yeah of of uh, well really at the forefront of schooling I know our school particularly I feel grateful because they're really pushing that that mentality but I do think about how much like you would never know with you because you speak so eloquently and bravely and boldly and and you have gone like uh what would have been a diagnosis then that would have stopped people in their tracks. You haven't allowed it to stop you. In fact, you've even the way you described it initially is such a positive um, and profound way of looking at something that could be conceived to be, you know, so um, uh, you know difficult to live with. Which I'm sure it is. It is, but it's the invisibility of it. No one can see that I'm not. Well, well. looking at you now. Well, that's it. You look pretty. <laughs> when you walked in, I was like, "She looks amazing." I, I was like, know. "Maybe you should have not worn the shirt you did nine. <laughs> no, <laughs> disgusting fashion. <laughs> yeah, it's invisible. So um, it becomes hard to try and tell someone you're in pain when I don't. And you, you're probably in pain every single day. There's days, yeah. Good days and bad days. Good days and bad days. So if we fast forward to then 18 and then you started to receive symptoms of another diagnosis and it wasn't until you described until you were 23 where you got formally described uh, – Diagnosed. Diagnosed with um, endometriosis stage four. Yes. So what was happening – what symptoms were happening for you when you were 18? I was heading into year 12 and school wanted me to do VCAL. And there's nothing wrong with VCAL, but I'd gotten that far with school. I was like, I'm going to get my VCE and I'm going to do it. So they, once I said no to VCAL, they were then like, do it over two years. I'm like, nah, I'm doing it with my friends. I'm going to graduate and I'm going to get an ATAR. And I then was coming around, yeah, to start year 12 and I started getting really bad period pain. So I got my period in year nine, which was quite late, but my doctors were quite happy still because I was on the methotrexate and that can delay things. And obviously as a female, you want your reproductive system to be working properly for one day when we need it and started getting really bad pain. So I went to the GP and I was like, oh, something doesn't feel right. Like my periods are really painful, really heavy. They were in cycle. Like I was getting them every 30 days, but to the point like that I was bleeding through, like 
my pads. It was just my eye. Then my iron dropped and yeah, it's everything. Horrific. It's like a domino effect. Mm. So they put me on the pill. <laughs> like that, they do to everyone. Yes. Just go on the pill. Yes. They just love to dish that out. Literally, like the easiest medication to just get handed out. So I went on the pill. I went on Leplin and my boobs grew like three cup sizes. So what was that one? Leplin. <laughs> <laughs> you are sorry. sorry. <laughs> so I started getting like holding fluid everywhere. I just didn't look like me, but it got me through year 12. And then I, my body started to create a cycle of every 12 months I would start spotting so I kept trying different pills and I got to the point, I think I was 19 or 20, I ended up going back to the GP and I was like, no, nah, this is not working. Something's not right. So I got referred to just a general gynecologist who at the time you trust and I trusted and she, I believed everything she said, as you do when you go to a specialist. And I went and had my first laparoscopy um, because I said to her, something doesn't feel right. And In her words, I still remember she was like, oh, it could be endo, but I don't really think so. You're young. Like, you you know, you haven't really got any other symptoms. So I had a laparoscopy and I called her because my symptoms came back and I, we were sort of starting to go into lockdown Mm. and I called her and she's like, just take some Panadine for it. You'll be fine. Mm. And I remember looking at my mom and I'm like, nah, that's, you can't treat your patients like that. Like there's clearly something wrong. Um, at the time, I got diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and in my back as well, which I hadn't had a formal diagnosis yet. So there were two issues going on. Went and had surgery and she told me I had stage three endo, but she also at that point wanted to put me into voluntary menopause. And I was like, what no. is that? So that's a treatment that some people find really helps for them. For me, I didn't want to do it. Mm. I was 22 and I was like, I'm not turning my ovaries off because what if they don't turn back on? Yes. Mm. And she was like, no, like that's not going to happen. I said, no, nah, not for me. I think it's an amazing thing in going to an episode that we did recently with Georgie Coughlin and about that gut instinct and that listening to your body and listening to your feelings and knowing that even if someone who has studied and surely to respect like the the professors and experts and doctors and everyone out there I know that they've spent their life's work crafting this and doing it it's just that you can't help sometimes that gut feeling where you just know yourself better than anyone else and you know it's not right for me at that time we're Mm. not doing that and to speak up and say that Mm. it's pretty massive yeah yeah so I had the conversation with her and she's like all right well because I was going through a breakup, I said, take the marina out. I don't need it anyway. And she's like, let's, <laughs> she's like, let's, let's try, um, you're back on the pill. We'll try a different one. I was like, here we go. Here we go. So I went on the pill again, didn't work. I was just bleeding. Like I still remember that October after going through with lockdown, I was just like, what is going on? Like my body, this is not right. Mm. Um, and at the time I was coming towards finishing my degree and I ended up getting an internship at a PR agency and it was my boss there who actually referred me to my now acupuncturist who Amanda Walgdyke. Um, she is the owner of Angia. She has changed my life. She referred me to my surgeon who did my last two operations and he is one of the most renowned surgeons in Victoria. Mm. And I sat there in tears like with my mum begging him to do something because I said I've had three operations in three years I can't live like this like this and is this not is normal what age I was 23 at mm-hmm. that point I mm-hmm. just turned 23 and like yep. that's a pretty 
you know, t- like it's a time in your life where, you know, you should be working, you should be out enjoying your life, you should be travelling. Like you want this sorted out. Yeah. And it just felt like the tunnel was getting longer. Was so frustrating. And I was like, oh, I'm getting some hope. And then it was just – and it then – became a questioning of my own instinct because it was like literally like my body had a clock every 12 months it, I would come it was like an anxiety coming up to March because that's when the pain in my ovaries would start and had started the previous three years and I'm like okay this year's going to be different is it in my head and every time I've been operated on they find more stuff mm. and I'm like it's that's the evidence that I'm not making it up but you start mm. to question yourself mm. and that's a whole other ball game mm. um, because when you start doubting your instinct, everything just crumbles. So then you've had this intermittent time at school and you still managed to finish your VCE but then how in your 20s and from 18, like how do you manage – I think one of the things that came up in your email to me was the dichotomy of – you're finished school, you're expected to go then get a degree to then also then get a job and have a career and earn money and, you know, the cost of living and all those things that then these chronic illnesses that are taking you away from being able to do that. You, you how be how do you manage, how did you manage during that time and how do you manage? So with struggle, uh, I'm fortunate when I was well, I was able to travel. So mum and dad, I wouldn't be here without them. Also my brother, but mum and dad have been the real rocks. Um, they work so hard to fund my medical bills and not everyone is able to say that, but I literally wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for them. Um, my dad works 14-hour days. My mum works part-time but then looks after my grandfather the other day, so she's full-time as well. Mm. And... I I just had to do it because I had no other option. So you either sit in bed and sulk about it or you get up and go to work and earn money so you can actually try and live a life for the days that you feel good. So, at, like, as in, I'm just thinking about this, but as an employee, yeah, an employer, employer like I'm employing you, were they compassionate about all the leave that you'd have to take? Because, like, God, you know, the recovery from those surgeries and the days when you felt like you couldn't go to work would have been awful for you. But as a business owner, like, how do you navigate that? It's really hard. So I was going into it in my interviews. I'd tell people I've got a chronic illness. This is the way it is. Some days I wake up and I can't get out of bed and some days I'm great. Um, Most employers at the start are like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, We'll, We'll manage it. And then you get to the point and you can start feeling the tension and then it's the guilt. Oh, I can't call in sick because I'm going to get fired. And I had a lot of support for my surgery in 2021 from the PR agency, but then it was time to freeze my eggs and it was kind of like I couldn't afford to get COVID so I needed to work from home because that was when things were still really delicate in Victoria and – as someone with a lower immune system, I needed to be really careful because we didn't really know still then what COVID was and that whole diabolical situation we all lived through. So mm. um, I ended up actually getting made redundant from that job and that was probably at the time didn't feel like the best thing, but that was the best thing because it forced me then to reset what it, what was going on. Mm. Um, I then started working full-time 
for a different marketing agency and I worked there for three months Mm. and full-time was like killing me. I literally, it's when I started talking to my now partner, Daniel, and we would organise to do stuff and I'd cancel because I was getting called into work and doing, you know, these really long days and then I just needed to rest because if you're working that much, I have to prioritise the rest. So then you're literally just working and sleeping and that's not what someone at 23, 24 wants to be doing. Like, Because um, as well, like with your rheumatoid arthritis, do you have flare-ups? Like is it, um, is it antagonised by like, you know, the more exhausted you get, the more it flares? Yeah, so the fatigue from both because – Endo is now being looked into being more of an autoimmune condition as well. So my biggest symptom that would relate to both of them is the fatigue. If I don't get eight hours sleep or if I have a bad sleep, I am no good the next day. Mm. Whether that's just my mood or whether my body is just exhausted, it it really is affected. Yeah, so working full-time was a struggle um, and then I had to go or I chose to go freeze my eggs again. And I wanted to work part-time and I was kind of forced into a corner that was like, we can't have you part-time. So I said, okay, well, if you can't support me, I'm going to leave. Mm. And I had to leave another job. That's so tricky because you – and also you want an income. You actually do want to be working. Totally. Mm, But but you're physically limited. How then do you kind of allow Mm. – Yeah, because if the work's a priority, then my health's not. And then – So it's it's rethinking how you can – Make it all work, which totally. is, I guess, what what you're trying what to do, what you're doing. Yeah. So then how did Mad About Fashion come about? So I froze my eggs April last year. That was my last, my third cycle. And I was like, okay, that's it. I'm not doing any more. Um, I got a number that I was happy with. And I then was like, okay, I need to reevaluate where is my life going, which came with a lot of panic. And I felt that I was running out of time, which I think is something society is like, subconsciously doing to us Mm. growing up um I was different to people and I was like okay where are my passions it's fashion so how could I make that my life and so I was sitting down with mum and dad with Daniel and Daniel had said to me he goes why don't you just work for yourself and I was like nah (laughs) I can't do that like how would I do that and mad about fashion started on an Instagram with no intent to go back and study. It was just going to be an Instagram that I would post my outfits because I had so many clothes, still have so many clothes. And I was like, well, if I'm not wearing them out, let's just start let's posting. Just it on. <laughs> let's just put it on and take a photo in the mirror and see what, ha- what will happen. And obviously with that background of PR, I was like, things can progress from there. Then I went and got a job um, in retail again, which mm-hmm. – I thought was going backwards because I was like, I've got a degree, which I graduated with distinction, which was a really proud moment of mine. And I was like, what am I doing? I'm going back into store and going to be seeing yeah, but customers. I love retail. <laughs> and if you love it, you love it. Well, it's just I was back around clothes and yes. it felt really good. Mm. And so I was back it's to casual fun. work and I could do my availability. So I worked when I wanted to work and I yes. could start and go and have these appointments, physio, acupuncture, osteo, you know, rheumatologist, gynecologist, cardiologist, I see, you know, all these doctors that you have regular appointments with that you can't just do before 9 and 5 p.m. and after 5 p.m. It doesn't work like that. I needed time. So I, yeah, started working casually and then it was when I was in Italy, I looked into personal styling and I was in Florence and I spoke to the um, 
like HR lady at Australian Style Institute and we had a call and she's like, just take the leap. And I was really scared. And again, I needed to borrow money from mum and dad. So it was that call to mum and dad and I was like, okay, yes, I'm in Italy and I'd saved really hard for that trip because Mm. I needed to have some time out after what the three years prior had brought. And I was like, can I do this course and I'll pay you guys back? And they were like, go for it. Which again, mum and dad, I couldn't do this and I wouldn't be here without them. I'd be in a gutter dead. (laughs) (laughs) So I enrolled and I did my course March this year. And as I have developed my love and, you know, refound, I guess, my creative streak, um, my creative hands, you want to say, it's just continued to develop and Endo has navigated its way through that because if I wasn't sick and I didn't have this illness, I'd still be working full-time in PR. Mm. So it's opened my eyes to different opportunities, um, but also made me realise that I don't have to be in an office nine to five to be successful. Mm. No, and, and like what you were saying before, you, you can work multiple jobs. Like you can have lots of different things yeah. mm. that end up working really well together that work around your life too yeah. and your needs. And like talking to you and emailing in advance of this, like you, you are some amazing things you've been doing. Like you've been starting to work with Epworth Hospital for styling, hosting styling events at the hospital, and then um, working, um, raising money for Endometriosis Australia. I mean, you just got announced Endo Champion. Is that what it's called? Yes. I mean, that's incredible. Can you explain what that is? Yes. So Endo Australia, I have hosted a walk the last two years in March. So March is Endometriosis Awareness Month. And it started off last year, literally at Gels Park in Wheelers Hill. And it was like 15 of me and my friends. And I I raised $1,000 that year. And that was like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And we walked a lap of the lake and everyone was in yellow. And then we had panini and stuff afterwards, as you do. And it was just a time that I could, like, give back, I guess, for the support I'd been given from the resources that Endo Australia provide. And this year we upped it to go to the TAN (laughs) and we did a lap of the TAN and um, I raised the remaining, so what was it, 17,000 600 this year. Yeah, that's um, a lot. That's a bit of a leap. Which is a lot of money. And to ha- be standing and speaking to, you know, the closest people in my life because it was still quite niche. Um, I think there was about 30 of us this year. And to be able to stand there and look at how each person's impacted my life because a lot of people have left and a lot of people just go too hard basket. Mm. I can't deal with this. Um, and that's something the mental side of going through and experiencing a chronic illness, you lose a lot of people because mm. they don't know how to deal with it, which is not my problem, but it's also they can just walk. I didn't have that option. I wish I could just be like, okay, too hard basket. I'm going to leave this where it is. Um, so starting to share my story on my private Instagram was a real coping mechanism for me. And at the start when I started doing it, my family were like, oh, do you really want to share that? Like, what people don't, so yeah, many people. people don't need to know that. And I was like, yeah, but it became like almost this medicine for me because I was like, I'm, I'm sharing it. And I was starting to get responses from girls that I didn't speak to at school and they were like, oh, my God, I've gone to the doctor now. Thank you so much. Like I wouldn't have known this. And, yeah, it then took the leap to my public Instagram with Mad About Fashion and I've had people message me 
even just recently saying, thanks to you, I'm going to have surgery next week. Like that's, yeah, I'm like, that's, I'm, I still feel like I'm the little Maddie that was passive in year seven that, you know, (laughs) I didn't have a big, I wasn't popular at school. I didn't have a big friendship group. I, you know, I'm just someone trying to navigate my life and now do you recognise as endo champion? Like, yeah, it's hard to put into words what that, what that means because it just means that what I'm doing is helping people mm-hmm. and that's such a nice feeling. Mm. And it will only get bigger and bigger. Yes. Hope so. I yeah, know. oh, God, I'll walk it's the incredible. Like one lap. Can't do more than that. No, that's <laughs> all we do. One lap, one lap's like one lap. the max. Um, but it's just incredible and I think as well when I was reading about Mad About Fashion and that your intention is that you want to um, be able to support and help style men and women but of all shapes and sizes and chronic illnesses and it did highlight that, you know, like the fashion industry can be really aspirational and it can be really at times obnoxious and I think going into it with such a wholehearted intention in um, contributing to the community and understanding that we do all come in shapes and sizes and we do all have, um, you know, things that stories and struggles that no one knows about. But to integrate your passion with with understanding and empathy of that is is really beautiful and 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 a, a testament to you from where you've come from and and the journey to date. So what I mean, what is your what's your goals for Mad About Fashion and what's your um, goals as well for your raising of funds for Endo Australia? I think for Endo Australia, it's just to continue building a community. I think there's a whole world out there of women with Endo that fashion is scary and like finding clothes that actually fit your bloat and fit you on a day that you feel crap is really hard for some people. And that then delves into the wider community of so many women and men out there this like fearful of fashion because they don't know the power of it. And that's something I've discovered. And I think because I've been where a lot of people are, I've been standing in front of the mirror and I pull my jeans up and they don't go up because my stomach's so bloated. And I that feeling is like so disheartening. Mm, it, so it, it's, it's crap. And to be able to share that with people to help them find alternative options for those days or for those periods. You know, when you're doing IVF, egg harvesting, your stomachs, it's like you're pregnant. You know, I'm not going to fit into my clothes that I was fitting into two weeks earlier. So how can you navigate a wardrobe that suits everyone's life, like suits your lifestyle? Mm. And it changes the way you feel about yourself and the way that, like some days if I'm feeling revolting, I'm like, okay, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wear this outfit with this shirt, I'm going to pop on a lip and I'm presenting who I want to be that day. Absolutely. The power of style is incredible mm. and that's something I want to be able to share with people. So I guess for what's next for Mad About Fashion is I'd like to delve into the editorial space as I've just done my course with ASI again and that's more like photo shoots and, um, yeah, the editorial space. So that is really exciting but really honing in on one-on-one clients and styling as well. So working with people who don't know how to style themselves and don't feel confident because I know what it's like to walk out the door and feel shit. It's not a nice feeling and there's so many people out there that are experiencing and that day we to day. also all have so many clothes in our wardrobes yes. that we don't know how to wear. Yes. Mm. 
And yeah. so it's having someone come in and curate that for you and coming with a fresh eye. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Like saying, why don't you get this altered? Why don't you, you know, find the gaps in the wardrobe, mm. find the things that you should throw out? Yes. And what I love about it as well is also someone that's coming into it with from such a grounded perspective. Like I think what's sometimes hard about fashion and fashion styling is that it's it can be overwhelming because also it's so elitist and aspirational and can be – whereas oh. someone that's coming into it with such a grounded perspective of like – this is, you know, the ebbs and flows of what's happening with my chronic illness and this is how I manage, this is how my body changes week to week. You know, those attitudes is so different, you know, yes. to, to how to look really chic. And, and cool also and taking alone. you out of your comfort zone because you do get very stuck in what you wear every day totally. and, and are scared to try new outfits. Yes, active wear. it's summer maybe you could swap to a runner i'm like no too hard i will swap to a birkenstock with a sock i love my birkenstock that was when i genuinely realized maddie's like alarm bells alarm bells bells ring every day at my house and i was someone that genuinely did love fashion (laughs) no you you are good but we do all have our moments i'm not on the other hand (laughs) i think what's special though is everyone has their own style and I think that's something that when a client comes to me and they're like I want to look like that and I'm like but how can we make it yours yes because your version of right not everyone is the same no like I'm different to both of you you're both different it it I think that's what's so special and I think when we talk about the fashion industry it's finding brands that suit people's lifestyle I think lifestyle is a massive massive part of style yeah because you don't need to spend a lot of money no no, you don't. It's knowing where to shop and yes. where to find those things and that's where a stylist comes in because a lot of people are apprehensive to, oh, I don't want to spend the money on a stylist, but I've worked with girls who literally, like I had one lady who said her boss went like, what's changed? She spoke right. to her. I worked with her earlier this year and her boss was like, you look different. She's like, I worked with a stylist. Because your whole demeanour changes. And once you work out how to put these outfits together, you only need, you know, 14, not 14, 10 go-to outfits you can mix and match. Start from the essentials. Mm. Essentials are key and, you know, basics and elevated basics. It's all about that this spring. So it's just having a better understanding and, like you say, a different perspective, a a fresh set of eyes is sometimes all someone needs all we need. but it's Brilliant. being open to it well you are amazing you've done an Thank incredible you. job and we're so lucky to be able to chat to you about it all today and the fact that you're willing to to share such a raw and honest story of of managing your chronic illnesses and um and being able to turn something that's so challenging into something that's also uplifting is very inspirational so Thank you. we can't wait to see where mad about fashion goes Me and <laughs> See you probably on the face of all the championing of fundraising for Endometriosis Australia. Thank you. Thanks, Maddie. Thank Thank you you so much. much. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Not Super Woman. You can find extra resources, links and information on our website, which is notsuper-woman.com. Is that a dash or a hyphen? A dash is a hyphen, right? (laughs) Wonderful. (laughs) 
Um, and if you're enjoying what we're bringing, you can follow us on our socials and we're across all podcast platforms. So hit subscribe, guys. 